0: Jesus said but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness but is guilty of an eternal sin. It's in Mark chapter 3 and verse 29. That's a harsh statement isn't it? Have you ever worried about it? Have you ever wondered about it? So many people have. What is this blasphemy against the Holy Spirit and what is this never has forgiveness? What is this eternal sin. Hello, and welcome to Two Ways Ministries podcast. I'm Philip Jensen. Considering this verse recently, it reminded me of Bertrand Russell and his book, Why I'm Not a Christian. It was written a long time ago. As a young man, I remember reading it, I may say some years after he wrote it. And it really was a rock, a stumbling rock, a a, a difficult rock for a young Christian to find such a famous academic, such a famous philosopher and intellectual, writing against Christianity as he did. And I had to think long and hard about it. And one of the parts of his argument was about the fact that Jesus was not the good person we think he was. And indeed, he uses that verse from Mark chapter 3 verse 29 as part of his argument against Jesus. Let me read to you the, the little bit that uh, comes in the the passage that explains his point of view. He wrote, That text has caused an unspeakable amount of misery in the world for all sorts of people have imagined that they have committed the sin against the Holy Ghost and thought, that it would not be forgiven them either in this world or in the world to come. I really do not think that a person with a proper degree of kindliness in his nature would have put fears and terrors of that sort into the world. On the basis of that, then, Bertrand Russell argues that Jesus is not the preeminent good man. There are other people of more loving nature than, than Jesus. Well... I had never really thought much about that verse. I had not struggled with that verse. I've since, of course, discovered that lots of people have indeed struggled with that verse. What do you think about it? What do you think about the unforgivable sin? And Bertrand Russell's, Ability to use the unforgivable sin to actually cast doubt on the moral character of the Lord Jesus Christ and to be able to put him as one inferior to other great religious leaders or leaders of life. Uh, Bertrand Russell was a great favourite of the atheistic materialists of his day. I mean, he was a maths genius. He was genuinely, intellectually, uh, a man of great leadership But he was a moralist. He took a moral stand in the First World War and as a pacifist. Though he wasn't a pacifist against all wars, just European ones. He thought colonial ones were okay. He was this public advocate of the atheism. And he's not as famous today. Well, he's not as famous for lots of reasons. I mean, fame fast vanishes for anyone. And so if you're born in the 21st century, then someone who lived in the 20th century is ancient history, really. So I guess that's part of the reason. Though I noticed in a newspaper last week, uh, I think it was last Saturday morning, there was a big article about him uh, claiming his greatness again. But there are other reasons why he's not quite as popular as he used to be. Uh, There's a big two-volume biography by a man called Monk, who's a, a philosopher and well disposed to the kind of view that Bertrand Russell purported to to hold and to teach. But as that biography spells out the details of Bertrand Russell's life, the man becomes more and more dislikable, frankly. He was a terrible user and abuser of women. He was a, a friend that you wouldn't want to have, for he betrayed people and he was a hypocrite and a terrible liar. And his books, he even wrote a book on love once, but he clearly showed no sign of it. It was just, he was a dreadful man. (laughs) He's the kind of man that the Me Too program would speak against. He's the kind of man that those who want to take down the statues of previous generations would take his statue down. The problem is, though, he still stands for the high ground of humanism, of moralistic atheism, and so he's still the favourite of many people but if you know any details about him, it's better to move on to somebody else to argue your case for you. However, you may complain, but Philip, you're just picking on the person. What about the idea? And I want to say, yes, that's true. Let's let's deal with the unforgivable sin. Though the reaction that Bertrand Russell had against it, there is part of his Christian upbringing that helps you understand it. For he really was raised by a Unitarian grandmother, and his understanding of Christianity was deeply and profoundly Unitarian. That is, denying that God had a son and that Jesus was God's son. Unitarianism, very popular in the late 19th century, especially amongst the upper class, like Bertrand Russell, was moralism without forgiveness because there was no atoning death because God's son couldn't pay the price for others, for he didn't exist. Jesus was a, a moral example at best, but he certainly wasn't a sacrifice for our sins. And so it was just moralism, a kind of religious moralism. And that was what Bertrand Russell was reacting against, especially his own life became more and more immoral. But let's look at this unforgivable sin because... Though I've talked about Bertrand Russell and his views, the unforgivable sin still stands there in verse 29, though when I come to explain it, you'll see that lack of forgiveness, that lack of atonement, actually leads to a serious misunderstanding of the unforgivable sin. So, with the unforgivable sin there in verse 29 of chapter 3 of Mark's Gospel, But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness. He's guilty of an eternal sin. Let me give you six little points in terms of understanding that verse. First thing to notice is there's a translation difficulty. In Greek, there is no word for a or an. There is for thee, but not for a or an. And so in English, quite rightly, we put it in where it's appropriate. But on this occasion, I don't think it's quite appropriate. It says they'll be guilty of eternal sin. When we read it in English with the word an eternal sin, actually the an becomes emphatic. We don't mean it to be emphatic and it can't be emphatic if there's no Greek word there, but it comes across as emphatic. And so we think that if you do a thing once, that is it. You can no longer be forgiven. Whereas it's talking about, Jesus was talking about. Sinfulness that is unforgivable. It's an ongoing thing, And that can be seen when you look at the next verse, verse 30. Because, and here's my second point, he says the scribes were saying that Jesus was... It's not that they said, it's that they were saying. It was an ongoing disposition of the scribes. And furthermore, it's not saying that they had committed it. It's just saying they were in danger of it. Verse 29, a warning verse from Jesus, a warning that there is a thing called unforgivable sinfulness, unforgivable blasphemy, and the scribes were in danger of committing it. Which brings me to the third point, again from verse 30, because that explains what is unforgivable. That is, what the scribes are doing that, they were face-to-face with God in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, casting out demons. And they saw this person and said, he's Beelzebul, he's the Lord of the house, he's the devil, he's Satan himself, that by the power of Satan he's casting out Satan. And so face-to-face with God, they called him the devil. Well, if you reach that place there's no real forgiveness for you. It's not that they said it once, but they were saying it. And so the fourth point I'd make is a continual rejection of the Spirit's call to salvation in Christ Jesus inevitably leads to no forgiveness. For the whole reason Jesus came into the world was to save sinners. But if you reject Jesus, you reject the Holy Spirit's leading and pointing to jesus you blaspheme against the holy spirit like that well then the salvation that god provides in christ jesus you've rejected and if you've rejected it then there is no forgiveness for there's no forgiveness in any other name than the name of jesus god provides his one and only son to bring us forgiveness and if we reject his one and only son Where else do we think we're going to get forgiveness? How else do we think we're going to get forgiveness? And you can't reject him much more than being face to face with him and calling him Satan. (laughs) That is as as total a rejection as is available. And so it's not that, oh, they said the wrong words once. It's that they were saying that God's son was Satan. (laughs) Well... If that is what you're saying, if that is your continual perception, then your rejection of God and of his Son is a rejection of salvation and of forgiveness. The fifth point I'd raise is actually slightly off the text, but it's the old practical wisdom that if someone is worried about it, if you, you know, are worried about it, or if you know someone who's worried about it, The old practical wisdom is that that means you haven't committed it. For as long as you're worried about it, then you're still sensitive to the Holy Spirit and his movement in you. You still have that conscience that gives you concern about God and the salvation that he comes and brings in Christ Jesus. And so worry about this is actually a good thing. It's a sign that you haven't yet fully come to this point. It's the person who doesn't worry about it that you must be concerned for. Which brings me then to the last of my six points. That is, we must never waver from the warning. We must never water down the warning. We must never try and say, well, look, that's what Jesus was saying, but he didn't really mean it. Uh, That's what Jesus was saying. But of course, there is another chance after you're dead in purgatory or limbo or some other way that Jesus doesn't give idle threats. And this is not so much a threat as a warning. And he doesn't give idle warnings. If there wasn't a real danger, there'd be no point him saying it. If there wasn't a real damnation, there would be no point him coming into the world to save people. Why would Jesus come to save people who do not need saving? There is a judgment and some will never be forgiven. And that's why he's come. And so we mustn't, out of our concern for not upsetting people, avoid saying what the scriptures are saying. It's like Botany Bay. For many years, I haven't checked lately, but for many years, Botany Bay had big signs put up by the local council warning about swimming there because of sharks. And so there were these signs up there with pictures of sharks. And warnings in, if I remember, a couple of different languages saying, don't swim here. I mean, the council had provided netted areas where you can safely swim. But there's a lovely piece of beaches there. There's many beautiful spots around Botany Bay where people would swim freely. But the council was saying, we can't control sharks. We've got no netting in Botany Bay. You swim here, you're swimming at your own peril. And there is a real danger. (laughs) You can say, well, the council shouldn't make people feel uncomfortable. You know, it's not, it's not good for them. It's bad enough that they're swimming in shark-infested waters. But to actually feel fear at the same time, it takes away from the enjoyment of the, the swimming. To say nothing of the fact that it doesn't help the sharks because it reduces the food possibilities for them. To say nothing more, of course, of the problem that if they did eat them, they'd be eating people who are all tense and anxious and worried. And so it would be better for the council to be concerned about the sensitivities of people and not put up those signs, or even if they did put up those signs, they should put a big sign above the sign saying, trigger alert, so that no one would be reading a sign that could make them feel really, really sad, you see. I mean, my friends, we must never water down warnings of real dangers, because if you love people, then you warn them of the danger that they are in. But there's more to it than that, even. You see, when we look at the context, you start to understand what Jesus was meaning. But look even more carefully at the immediate context. You see, verse 99 says, But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of eternal sin. But did you notice the first word? It's, it's but. This is a continuation of, of verse 28 but it's a rejection or it's a, an alternative to verse 28 but to read verse 29 without verse 28 is to read the second half of a sentence the whole sentence says truly i say to you all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter but whoever blasphemes see verse 28 is the context of forgiveness the context of all sins being forgiven, whatever blasphemies. You see how everything is embraced in this, all sins, all blasphemies, because Jesus came into the world to save sinners and he brings enormous forgiveness, absolute forgiveness, total forgiveness, forgiveness of everything. It's, it is a marvellous verse. Whereas verse 29 is a, terrible warning and in that sense a kind of nasty verse. Verse 28 is a wonderful promise, and in fact it's one of the greatest promises of the Bible. Whatever sin you have committed, whatever, all are forgivable. It doesn't matter what you've done. See, our world has a priority, a picking order of sin, and in some ways that's true and right there are big things like murder or adultery or theft they're forgivable there are little things that we all get involved in the little lie that we tell here or there or the bit of it they're forgivable whatever it is several times people have come and spoken to me about things they have done murder theft adultery and i can take them to verse 28 <laughs> All sins, whatever blasphemies you utter. For Jesus' death is sufficient for every and any sin. Some years ago, one of our congregation, the lovely Kathy Kitty, was Jewish and became a Christian. Her whole family was wiped out in the Holocaust. She had a terrible time throughout the Second World War. When she came to Australia, she came to Christ... And in coming to Christ, she accepted the forgiveness for her sins. And then she started recounting to us the things that she had done and the things that had been done to her. Her her life, like all Jews living through the time of Hitler, it was terribly fraught. And she agreed to have her biography written And so our friend Kel Richards wrote up her biography. It's well worth reading and still available, published by Matthias Media. But the title of the biography was Forgiving Hitler. It caused some consternation, especially amongst the Jewish community, and understandably, they certainly did suffer in, in a horrendous fashion. But of course, it wasn't me, a Gentile, writing about it. It was Kathy, a Jew, writing about it. And it wasn't somebody born in the 21st century. This was someone who went through the terrible horrors of it firsthand. And yet she could forgive Hitler because God had forgiven her. Saying sorry is very difficult. Forgiving someone is more difficult. How can you forgive people for what they have done? Because God has forgiven us for what we have done. How can God forgive us for what we have done? Because his son paid the price for it. And therefore all sin is covered by the sacrifice that is so costly as God's one and only son. And Jesus therefore comes not to just warn people of the unforgivable sin. Jesus comes to bring true and real forgiveness for everything. But... And that's why the first sentence, the first word of verse 29 starts with that word. But if you reject that Savior, if you look that Savior in the face and call him Satan, well, then you are truly in danger of the unforgivable sin. This warning's not unkind, it's loving. This warning is necessary because. There is judgment. We don't live in an amoral world without values. We don't live in a meaningless world. We don't live in the relativist world where there's no right and wrong. We don't live in that kind of universalist world where because Hitler's dead, he goes to heaven because Stalin's dead, he goes to heaven. No, there is a judgment, and that judgment will come after death. And the immoral will pay unless Jesus has paid it for them. The warning is loving. The promise is even more loving. But if you, like Bertrand Russell, reject Jesus because of this Unitarian background or because of your atheistic background, well, then you are in the danger of the scribes. For God's way of salvation is by jesus alone let's pray heavenly father we thank you that forgiveness is full and free for all the things that we have ever done because you paid such great price because your son paid such great price to win us that forgiveness and we thank you in jesus name podcast from Philip Jensen and Two Ways Ministries. Philip will be bringing to you new regular episodes on a variety of topics and current issues. Don't forget to subscribe to keep up with his latest.